Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Thor's a homo. Okay, look. Thor probably is a little bit of a homo. I mean, mythology speaking, yes. In terms of the newest <laughs> Thor movie that I didn't watch, probably. <laughs> like, this movie's got a lot of issues. Thor being called a homo, probably the most accurate one that is not an issue. <laughs> yeah, you've uh, you've got a good point there. And there's just so, so much to dive into this movie because this is... One of those weird teen movies that a lot of people love and have an affinity for, but also, uh, let's just pull on our collar a little bit and make a Rodney Dangerfield motion. Oh, it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, yeah, just just a little bit, but we we have so much to talk about because we're finally tackling adventures in babysitting yes and this was a movie that celebrated a 35th anniversary last year Mm -hmm. but we had so many anniversaries we did including like four i think from 1987 alone Mm -hmm. that it we just couldn't put them all in one year and it's like it's fine we'll just we'll do it in 2023 it'll be a little surprise be like haha you thought we forgot yeah it's one of those things where it's like all right look we can't just have all anniversary films in in a single year because then that's weird, and yeah. the world is not going to end because we're talking about Adventures in Babysitting on its 36th anniversary. I, I think mean, I think we're fine. Do we ever need an excuse to talk about Adventures in Babysitting? No. No. Just felt like it. <laughs> so what was your introduction to Adventures in Babysitting? This is one that I saw fairly routinely growing up. Um, it was a TV edit, so I think it was Don't Mess with the Babysitter. Mm-hmm. But uh, Adventures in Babysitting, as well as a lot of other 80s teen films, where like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, were amongst my mom's favorites. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it came up pretty routinely. Um, it was just always like a fun thing that I would catch, I don't know, halfway through maybe, mm-hmm. all the time. I've probably seen the second half of this movie at least three times as many times as the first half. <laughs> That's totally understandable. I also was introduced to this movie by my mom, but it was because my mom was a daycare provider, so she was a babysitter. And for whatever reason, like the babysitter slash this is my mom trilogy in our household was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Adventures in Babysitting, and Serial Mom. Uh, okay. Three films that arguably are like not for kids, um, but we watched them all the time. Sure. So I got a lot of watches of this one. They were rented from the video store, so it was not edited which meant uh, all of us had to cover our ears when she said, don't fuck with the babysitter. Yeah, this movie's slipping in two F-bombs mm-hmm. into a PG-13 film. What a different time. 
So, yeah, in case you somehow have missed Adventures in Babysitting or the remake that was recently done for Wait, the Disney Channel. That was a thing? It sure was a thing. I mean, Disney Channel does have the streaming rights to the first Adventures in Babysitting, mm -hmm. which we did not watch it on there because we know Disney likes to cut out stuff. Yes, and Disney does have an edited version of this movie on Disney+. Plus. The language is edited as well as they put the little warning up. Uh, that they put up before things like recess as well, where it's like, hey, this movie depicts sentiments that are very outdated. Like maybe the kindergartners in recess are a little something. Uh-huh. It's not appropriate. Uh, and it, the weird thing is, though, I really appreciate when streamers put up those warnings ahead of time instead of just editing them out and pretending like it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, like, they do that with a lot of, like, the Looney Tunes and Tex Avery cartoons, where I oh, think, yeah. like, Whoopi Goldberg narrates it, mm -hmm. where she'll talk about, like, hey, these are out of date, but if we pretend these didn't exist, then that's, like, pretending those prejudices didn't exist. Oh, so yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, in case somehow you haven't seen it, here's the plot. And this plot description, I think the, the word choices for this also tie into the, the complicated legacy of Adventures in Babysitting. A babysitter must battle her way through the big city after being stranded there with the kids she's looking after. That's not technically wrong. It's not. It's just a choice of words. It's a choice of words. It feels very targeted by calling it a battle. Okay. Or so, being stranded. Yes. Uh, so what, what I want to say as far as like... How this movie works. And this will kind of go into like the context of the film because we've done 1987 plenty of times at this point. Mm -hmm. And we are moved past like the sex comedies of the early to mid 80s and we're starting to expand what a teen film looks like. And something that I will say that this movie does do right is it much more uh, directly acknowledges the John Hughesism of films mm -hmm. where it doesn't just say, here's some kids in some suburbs. Anyway, we threw Anthony Michael Hall into this predominantly black bar and had him do a black scent, mm -hmm. like in Weird Science. It addresses it more head on. And it did its best, perhaps, maybe, if you want to be really, uh, really glass half full on that one. Yeah, so we'll definitely dive into that in a bit. This movie, in my opinion, and... Obviously, take it with a grain of salt because I am a white person and it is not my place to be speaking with authority on this. But a lot of the racism that we see in teen movies from this era are very overt and on the nose. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about Long Duck Dong in 16 Candles. Yeah. We talk, like you said, Anthony Michael Hall doing the black scent in Weird Science when he's drunk. Uh, things like that are just very like... Oh yeah, no, that's racist. Oh, like you, it's, can... <laughs> it's an '80s movie. That's it's just very... the th that's the defense of it. It's it's an '80s it's movie. It's very fucking yep. racist. Whereas Adventures in Babysitting's racism and a lot of its problematic elements are very implicit. They're very covert. It's not waving a neon sign around that says like, "Hey, this is racist." It very much feels like well-intentioned white people doing their best, but doing it poorly because it's still racist. Yeah. Uh, that's my feeling on this movie. Because, um, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. But like you said, we covered a lot of 1987 last year because it was an anniversary year. I mean, this is the same year that we get Some Kind of Wonderful, which is John Hughes's last teen film. So this is coming out the same year that John Hughes is going to pivot wholly into adult territory. Or kids' territory. Or kids' territory, yes. Yeah. 
So as far as like other films we've done this year, we did Can't Buy Me Love. We did Some Kind of Wonderful, Dirty Dancing, and The Princess Bride. All very, very different films in terms of what they're approaching. As well as a more of like a video rental uh, hit is probably being generous. But something like Pretty Smart, which is also uh, very provocative and very 80s in what it does. Mm-hmm. And as far as like finding trends in themes, it's not necessarily like a concrete through line because... This isn't a romance like most teen films are, especially mm-hmm. the John Hughes teen films. And that 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 is refreshing. This is a, a woman going out and going on an ad, an adventure. She's 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 kind of like Little Mermaidy in that sense, mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, fish out of water. Yeah, and what's also interesting is that this is kind of the film that solidifies Elizabeth Shue's place as, like, one of the it girls of the 80s into the 90s. She was in The Karate Kid, which obviously huge deal. She's reprising that role in Cobra Kai. Uh But then she does Adventures in Babysitting this year, Cocktail the following year, and then she, you know, gets solidified in genre film history because she takes over the role as Jennifer in Back to the Future Part Uh 2. So Adventures in Babysitting was kind of like – Elizabeth Shue's big break of like, I can carry an entire movie on my own. I'm a star. I'm a fucking star, which I think is great because she's fantastic in this. I oh, mean, she's great. The opening scene where she's just lip syncing and dancing around her room, which is a pretty common trope in teen movies, yeah. is kind of the no one's watching me, I'm lip syncing and getting it's ready it's and singing. Yeah, it's especially common for like the opener. Mm-hmm. Like opening when the credits are scrolling and here's our licensed music number. It's, it is a, a thing that you could place bets on pretty comfortably. Yeah, very much. Um, but Adventures in Babysitting was written by David Simpkins. David Simpkins, um, you know, so this is a teen girl movie written by a guy. He but primarily does TV, I believe. I think yeah. he did a single other science fiction film in the 2000s. Yeah, so he did like Charmed, uh, Blade the Series, Dark Angel, Warehouse 13. He works in a lot of genre, so this is very much not his wheelhouse, so to speak. But this is very early in his career. Yes, this is very, very early. Um, And then this is the directorial debut of Mr. Chris Columbus. And Chris Columbus, outside of, you know, sharing the name of a genocidal killer, uh, he's one of the most, like, well-known directors that is still currently working. Uh I mean, he wrote Gremlins. He wrote The Goonies. uh, He directed Adventures in Babysitting. He would go on to direct an actual John Hughes movie with Home Alone and Home Alone 2. He also, you know, he's Mrs. Doubtfire, Bicentennial Man, and probably most prominently the first two Harry Potter movies and Rent, which is also weird because Anthony Rapp's in this movie, and then Anthony Rapp is Mark in Rent. Yeah. Um, he also directed Pixels, but we don't need to talk about that. Like, it's really funny to look at his filmography and see that there are numerous very successful films in it. Yes. And yet, a lot of them are marred with some form of controversy. Like, almost and, all of them. And, like, he didn't write most of these. It's just the material that he happens to be directing mm-hmm. is something. Something's a little off here. Yes, like, the complications of, like, Mrs. Doubtfire or Harry Potter. Like, he had nothing to do with those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And it, especially going back and looking at something like Adventures in Babysitting, which a lot of people still really love. And I'll be honest, I do really enjoy this movie. And, and this, it meant this movie's got fun moments. It's got some really fun moments, and it meant a lot to me when I was younger. And I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so anything that has to do with Chicago, I'm always gonna love. This is only half in Chicago. It's only half in Chicago. A lot of stuff was shot in it, yes. in Canada. Some of it was shot in LA. I, I do like BJ. If, if we can just for a second, I liked to uh, I like to play games when we do Chicago teen films, particularly where I ask you like, 
what's this neighborhood like? And you go, oh, that's not even the bad bus station. That's the nice one downtown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, oh, yeah, the neighborhood they're from is from like nine miles outside the city. Yeah, they're not far. Oak Park is nine miles away. They are not far away. So like at the end when Chris is like, you came all the way out here. I'm like, he, barely. Like he did not go very far. Yeah. Do so not give him that much credit. I, I really like all of these moments where you're explaining the city to me. And this is things you wouldn't know unless you're from there, but mm-hmm. it's stuff that's particularly funny. Yeah. Agreed. Um. So yeah, it was always really fun, you know, watching this movie as a kid and being able to go like, oh, I know where they are. I know what Lakeshore Drive is. You know, mm-hmm. I know what this station is like. Like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. I don't know. It like, it makes you feel like a, a kinship to this. Dude, I do that with the every lot in Cleveland Twitter. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Where it's just like, it's just Google street, street views of like random lots and addresses in Cleveland. And I go, oh, I know that neighborhood. That's down the street from this Italian restaurant I like. <laughs> Especially because I'm far away from home. It's like, oh no, this is nice. I like this. This is a good feeling. I feel involved. Well, my favorite is that they did an every lot in Cleveland post of our old apartment. Mm-hmm. And um, our old apartment was behind an office supply building that is next to a house. So we posted and we're like, oh, home sweet home. We missed this. And then we had to clear like, no, 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 we're not talking about the house. We're talking about the office supply building that looks like it's been closed since 1982. Yes, they don't have bars on the window. They have cast iron fences that are resting <laughs> against the window. Yeah. Um, and then the Jolly Green Giant's upper body is sitting in the front window, despite it being an office supply store. And he's wearing sunglasses. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. There are also like 75 different like inkjet printer signs that's like flag day is on this day don't forget oh the flag day signs stay up year round like the flag day sign will stay up until a month before the next flag day yeah it's our landlords are very nice people by the way they were just weird (laughs) they were just some cool old dudes who are brothers and own the building but like it's it is there is a a warm sensation to recognizing your neighborhood or Mm -hmm. something that is very very familiar and I don't know. I'm sure you get that for Chicago all the time. I don't get that nearly as much for Cleveland because people don't make movies there. Totally. And that leads into a discussion that we will be having an entirely like separate episode about that'll eventually be posted on the Patreon where we're going to talk about like the lack of representation in teen films specifically for people of color because you're absolutely right. There is a warmth to that. And the teen genre is really bad at giving that warmth to people that are not white. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we're going to talk about that today because this is the perfect movie to talk about that with. But before we do that, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hello there, prom party. This Ends at Prom is made possible through the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash thisendsatprom. There, you'll be able to get access to the show's schedule at the start of each month, playlists curated by yours truly, our Sadie Hawkins dance mini-episodes where we discuss teen boy movies, our musical milestone episodes where we discuss iconic artists and moments in teen-oriented music, and we are currently re-watching and discussing Freaks and Geeks. All of these new episodes, as well as our extensive back catalog, are available in tiers starting at just $1. If you aren't able to support right now, we get it, times are tough, then all we ask is that if you can, give us that five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast, and maybe share us with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and now back to the movie. Alrighty, so before we get into the nitty-gritty and more complicated elements, I do want to talk about kind of the surface-level stuff. Let's talk about our characters. Let's talk about our characters. 
I know that Elizabeth Shue's character is uh, is named Chris, but she's just Elizabeth Shue to me. But how do you feel about Chris as a character? Chris is what would normally be the friend in a different movie, I think. Because mm-hmm. she, she has a boy name. She wears a grandpa's coat. She's kind of cool and a bit tough and surly, but also like super girly. She is either... She's usually like the kind of girl that gets ignored in a boy-led film because he wants to get with like the blonde cheerleader, mm-hmm. even though she is still the blonde. Yeah, like that's what she feels like, and I like that she has an opportunity to shine as a lead character because one, Elizabeth Shue is so fun and doing such a good job carrying this film with like children, but also I just think that Chris is a cool character. Yeah. I I think she's cool. Like, you can just look at her and go, but look, she looks cool. Yeah, I like Chris because you're absolutely right. I think in a different movie, she's the side character. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of similar energy to, like, Terry and just one of the guys. Yeah. Where... Like, she's definitely femme, but there's very much a masculine energy coming out of her. I tweeted it when we were watching it, but she's dressed like somebody who looks like they would be one of the doctors in Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. She's just got, like, this, you know, big oversized grandpa coat. That and, coat like, says, I live in Chicago. Yeah. And, and also, got... that's, like, the same coat Arnold Schwarzenegger wears in, in Jingle, Jingle All, all the, the Way. way. That, which, is, that is a dad jacket. <laughs> which, weirdly enough, Chris Columbus produced that movie. So, <laughs> eh, who knows? Maybe it's the same coat. It's a very dad look. Um, but, yeah. She's also, you know, she's got like bright yellow gloves on and like a rainbow scarf and like a bright sweater. Like she just looks cool. She's, she's really putting some uh, some dashes of color to make that brown mm-hmm. look a little bit less dull. Yeah. And she's just a really fun person because we get to see a lot of her personality. She has no problem dishing the shit right back out to the boys that are being sassy with her, mm-hmm. which like she has really nice, like cool big sister energy. Yes. And I think that that's what makes her so appealing. And cool big sisters, they are the people who are babysitters because cool big sisters babysit. Popular girls don't have to babysit because they have plans that night. They have plans or they have money and don't need to work. Exactly. And when you think about that, you know, she has a pseudo boyfriend, which is Bradley Whitford. And it's very weird because it's pre-Billy Eric. Madison. <laughs> yeah, it's pre-Billy Madison. We're like, in my brain, that's where he goes. So <laughs> we were watching it and I was like, do you know who that is? And you're just like, oh, I know his face, but well, I don't know who it is. Because when he shows up, he's like really dressed down when mm-hmm. he first shows, like the first, second scene or whatever, when he just knocks on her door. And then later he's at like the fancy restaurant and he's, he's wearing a suit. a suit. And it's like, nope, that's Eric. Yes. But before that, you know, you're like, oh. Oh, I know his face. What is it? And I went, you know, I'd I'd have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. And you're uh-huh. like, ah, that's who that is. So it's really wild to see him just kind of like pop up here for a cup of coffee just this to be an asshole. Would not have voted for Obama any term. No, this is a Reaganite <laughs> fucking monster. Uh-huh. And what's also super funny is that like Bradley Whitford plays a lot of like evil assholes in his career. Like absolute assholes but they're all kind of weaselly yeah. and they're all kind of just like villains and in this he's like a cool guy jock villain and it's like that's an interesting choice to throw you in here but it works okay yes. it's the it's early in his career before he's really been established as like the typecasted dude that he is kind of like a kiss ass villain yeah he's never he's not like a boss he is absolutely a brown noser beneath the boss yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's real. It's really interesting um, to just see him here with this. Yes. Um. So let's also talk about our kids while we're here because that's kind of our our main crew here. So our next one, the most obvious, is we have Keith Coogan as Brad Anderson. Love to see him back on the show after 
Don't Tom on the Babysitter's Dead, which is, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Brad? So with Brad is, did he get babysat by Chris at any point? Or has he just had like a longstanding crush on her because she babysitted his little sister? I think it is both. I think, okay. I think Chris babysat him when he was younger and he's finally hit that age where he doesn't need a babysitter anymore, but Sarah yeah. still does. He's like 15, 16, something like that. I think he's 14. Okay, well. Because I think she's... Because she's 17. 14-year-olds don't need babysat either yeah. way. Yeah, she's 17. I think he's 14. Gotcha. So I think she probably babysat him when he was younger, but now he's a little bit older. He doesn't need a babysitter. But she will always see him as that kid. Like, she babysat mm-hmm. him. But he will always see her in kind of that, like, oh, glory well, of the babysitter yeah. as we saw in The Babysitter. Well, it's this feeling, I think, as, like, a young kid where – a girl that you think is pretty and that you look up to has given you attention mm-hmm. in any capacity. And that makes you sort of like adore her and maybe idolize her. Oh, yeah. He in- absolutely idolizes her. Yeah. So I, I think that that's kind of what his 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 relation is. He's clearly not as much of a shit heel as Daryl is. He's he's willing to and maybe he is normally, but like he's not going to do that when he's around Chris. He's going to at mm-hmm. least be kind of on his good behavior because he's he wants her to like him really badly. Yeah, he's trying to impress her at every step of the way. And I do think that as kind of gross and cringy as it is to have him like fawn at her the entire movie, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Oh, no, that's a very common thing. Yeah. And I think that this movie does a pretty good job walking that balance. Um, The next one I want to talk about is Sarah, uh, little sister Sarah with her little Thor helmet, Mm -hmm. played by Maya Bruton. Um, A cool thing about Sarah is the actress who plays her is um, a lesbian, and she grew up and is very openly queer and talks about it a lot. Good for her. So I think that that's really cool, but it also makes the movie read really weird because there's a lot of weird anti-gay jokes in here, Mm -hmm. and she's gay and... So is Anthony Rapp, who plays Daryl, but we'll get to him in a second. So it's very strange in this movie with all these, like, gay slurs and, like, anti-gay sentiments that... It was the 80s. Two of the stars Always. grow up to be very, very famously gay. Fine. Yeah. yeah so, like, a thing that is very interesting with her that actually wraps around to another Chris Columbus film is that... I think that Adventures in Babysitting might be the largest display of, like, the Avengers... That we would get prior to like the MCU, or at least until Jingle All the Way. Right. So we noticed this when we were watching that is really, really interesting. Is so obviously the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are kind of what lit the flame that led to the MCU that we have now. Yeah, we it lit the flame for superhero movies actually yes. being successful. Yes, absolutely. And like Batman movies existed, like Batman that... and Superman did okay, but like that's Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. That's not superheroes. Exactly. As a genre. So this movie has her being obsessed with Thor. She's got the helmet, like it's a big deal to her. Mm-hmm. And then in Jingle All the Way, another Chris Columbus film. Little Jamie's bedroom is like plastered in like Captain America. And in hindsight, like you look at it now and it's like, wow, that kid is the coolest bedroom ever. But at that time period, it wasn't cool or common for people to be really into comic books and these characters in the mainstream. Like well, you were a fringe kind of geek if you liked these well, things. Well, she's interested in like boy stuff because mm-hmm. girls aren't supposed to like comic books. She's such a great like little tomboy character, mm-hmm. like the tomboy little sister. I think Sarah's great because she's young. 
and excited, but she's also really mouthy. And mm-hmm. we all know that I, I love lo- love a mouthy little girl. Love a mouthy little girl, she's especially great. in teen movies, because they always get really great dialogue. Because mm-hmm. um, she's down for whatever this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like even when her she's brother down to climb out of a skyscraper. <laughs> right. Like even when her brother and Daryl are like terrified, she's like, "Let's fucking go!" Like mm-hmm. she's so down. She's great. She has no concept of her mortality and hasn't gotten injured enough to be scared. Apparently, exactly. Like, and I love that resiliency about younger kids where the world hasn't beaten them down enough yet so Mm -hmm. they're thrilled to just like do whatever dangerous bullshit because they're like i'm invincible still it's fine well also like one she she meets thor or at least a thor in her mind she meets vincent d'onofrio and like what a hunk he's such a hunk in this movie what the hell his ass looks real tight in those jeans like just saying um (laughs) but like she met thor so like thor's around maybe thor will save her when she's dangling on the side of a building or maybe she just believes in being a superhero and escaping bad guys because she's just under that wash of naivety Mm -hmm. um also i think a thing that's worth thinking about is that even in the 90s, it was cool to be liking superheroes because there were Saturday morning cartoons for like Spider-Man and the X-Men and stuff That's like that. That's very true. This is still the 80s. They didn't have that yet. Yeah. This is pre-Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. That's like, a really good point. Superhero stock is in the toilet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is comic books and bust. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And it's just such an interesting character addition. And I think such an important thing for so many young girls to see that like mm-hmm. you can be really, really into something that is quote-unquote for boys. I thought you always help people in trouble. Hey, kid. This is the city. I don't help anybody but myself. But I Get wanna... lost! Wait! I know why you're not acting like yourself. You don't have your special helmet. See, you're wearing the baseball hat. You're supposed to be wearing this. Take mine. Go on, take it. Take it. You giving this to me? Oh yeah, you're my hero. Here. Here, take the car. Thanks, Thor. I actually have a question for you. Um, we talked about it very briefly when we were watching the movie. Um, so she she meets Vincent D'Onofrio in a bad wig, and he's very hunky, and she thinks he's Thor. And you know what? He plays along. He's a great sport. Love him for that. Did you ever have little kids mistake you for somebody else and like really look at you in like this real this starry-eyed kind of way yes and there's no way to talk about this without sounding like the most conceited motherfucker on the planet do it (laughs) okay so in my current stage because of the bright green hair i get confused for mermaids walking on land and witches all the time. And that's fine. You're very I'm cool Ursula, with either. Sure. Yeah, I'm cool with either. You're you're a brassy <laughs> a brassy sea witch, yes. 
Um, but when I was younger and when I was doing pageants, we would do events and parades and things, and you'd have to wear the crown and sash. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the amount of little girls that would come running up to me and be like, oh, my God, a princess. Mommy, look, a princess. Well, they've and never like, seen a crown probably in real life. And that's exactly it. They've never seen a crown on somebody's head like in public at the carnival or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was this kind of running thing where anybody who was a a pageant queen because like how to explain this to people is that where I grew up every town had their own set of queens Mm -hmm. like from little to little junior miss sometimes people had tiny miss which was like toddlers um and you would have the title for a year and you would do an assload of philanthropy work you would do all of the community events so everybody in the community kind of knew you and it was a big deal Mm -hmm. so when you were at the miss level you were sort of like in charge of everything like you were the babysitter of the group basically Mm -hmm. and all of the misses kind of had this unwritten understanding that like you don't correct children when they call you princesses you let them believe that yeah so little kids like not telling kids that santa's not real yeah yeah very much that so little sorry to anybody who just had that spoiled for them (laughs) so like we would have like little kids come running up to us and be like oh my gosh you're a princess you're a princess and then you know, usually we would try to turn that into like, yes, I am. And thank you so much. And, you know, we get to be a princess for a whole year and it's pretty fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever want to try, you can too. And very much that sort of thing. And I don't know, like, I know I've talked about it before on the show where part of how I got back into pageantry after doing it as a kid was because my goth friends joked that I couldn't do it and I wanted to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. So even being like a punk-ass goth kid, it did feel really nice when little kids would say that to me. Oh, yeah. Which is how I know that I'm an embarrassingly like cis-femme person <laughs> because I got euphoria from little girls confusing me from for a princess. Okay, but like I am a cold-hearted person who doesn't generally enjoy the company of children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my friend's kids because my friends are cool and they raise cool kids. Fine. Most random kids, not. I'm, I'm a little, I'm pretty much a, an arm's length or three with those children. Mm-hmm. But dude, that happened to me one time and I got fucking starstruck and like caught in the moment where I was like, I'm really touched because I was, right. it was during a, um, it was during a very brief time where I worked in AIDS prevention and uh, a mom came up to me and was like, Oh hey, um, you can can my my daughter wants to say something to you, and she was like very sweet, and she was like, "Are you a princess?" And I was like, "What?" And she's this sweet little like curly haired ginger kid, and at the time I had red hair. Um, and then the mom tells me this whole story about like, oh well, my my kid, um, she always maybe straighten her hair before school because she thought that princesses and like pretty girls weren't allowed to have curly hair. So and then she eventually saw Brave, which like oh yeah, Brave's a fine movie. Uh, I it, it's. It had a a very troubled development, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, like, the best thing that ever got out of it was this little girl saying, like, oh, my God, I can be pretty because Merida's pretty. And Mm. I can be tough because Merida's tough. And I think that you're Merida because I'm, like, three or four years old and you are, like, this statuesque, powerful lady with curly red hair. Oh, that's so sweet. I am a heartless person who was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's the nicest thing I've ever heard. Your grinch size heart grew three sizes that day. I was very Vincent D'Onofrio in this, where I'm just like, <laughs> give me my money. And then I was like, oh no, I'm, my heart is melted. <laughs> yeah, I love that sort of a story. And this is also why whenever people try to say things like, it's not a big deal that, you know, the, the Little Mermaid's going to be played by... Ha- 
Halle Bailey, like, it doesn't matter. Who fucking cares? And it's like, no, it does matter. Like, it matters a lot. Representation is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And especially for kids, especially for kids, 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 like, you know, I'm not going to put an age bracket on it, but I'd say the younger you are, it's more important for you. Absolutely. And I love that that story happened because I think that's very sweet. And I'm a sucker anytime little kids get you to feel things because I have witnessed you actively be like, ah, I'm <laughs> around children. I sort of, I tastefully dodge them. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actively hate kids. I'm like, get away from me. Like, I just, I'd prefer to not. You also just don't know what to do with them. I really don't. I'm great with dogs. I'm bad with babies. <laughs> oh, goodness. I could never be a babysitter. No. I love you dearly. I wouldn't. No. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so the last person that's kind of in our, our core four is Anthony Rapp as Daryl Cooper Smith. And Daryl is Brad's friend. And I have a lot of feelings about this character and specifically the casting. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious of your feelings about Daryl first. Um, it's not Anthony Rapp's fault. He's Mark in Rent, and so I always have this, like, twinge, like, feeling whenever I see him on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, it's not your fault that Mark's a terrible character and is especially insufferable in the movie. Yet in this movie, he is such, like, a teen boy chode, mm-hmm. and I like him so much more than the role he's best known for. <laughs> Because he's believable. Like, he's yeah. your really shitty, obnoxious friend. He's kind of like Buddy. Yeah. In in Just One of the Guys to bring it back to that, where it's just like, you are a walking, talking, just ball of perversion. Mm-hmm. But it's not even like a cool John Waters, like, subverted perverted. It's like, no, you're just gross teen boy hormone ball of nonsense oh yeah well it's he's the kind of person who rather than being a teen boy who's like ashamed of his random boners he's embracing them a little too hard yeah that's very much his character which which is honestly not the worst thing it's just two extremes on a spectrum and when you're a teen you kind of operate on extremes right and the the biggest problem is that because they're playing his like horniness for laughs because it's the 80s it also then plays predatory behavior for laughs Mm -hmm. and that's an issue and it's very weird to watch because one we again there's all of the anti-gay language and anthony rapp is very famously gay Mm -hmm. but the bigger problem and this is a very uncomfortable thing to talk about and this will be a trigger warning for essay and all of that is that this movie takes place a year after Anthony Rapp was molested by Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see him play this character knowing, obviously in hindsight, because we didn't know at the time, but knowing that this happened after he had been violated by another human being, to see him have to play this like character who is you know, looking up under the cardigan of a girl who's passed out, Uh who's making jokes about how he would rape somebody. Uh It, like, is so deeply upsetting to watch in ways that make me kind of physically ill. And, again, it's not the movie's fault. Nobody who made this movie knew that that was the situation at the time. At least I hope they didn't know. No, it's written for, for yucks and honestly plays it pretty straight because everyone in, like, the core cast of characters doesn't like Daryl. 
No, they Dar- think it's Darryl's, weird. Daryl's obnoxious and kind of annoying, and the movie paints him as a loser, as you should for a dude who's going to act like this. Absolutely. But it's the external things. Yeah, and, like, it obviously does not go far enough. Like, there should have been, like, a, hey, what the fuck, man, like, kind mm-hmm. of speech, and that just doesn't happen. This movie doesn't quite go far enough about checking itself in general. Yes, that's, that's and I think... That's kind of the issue. Yeah, that is this movie's biggest issue, but is I, that... That's, it, that's a that's a 2023 lens yes. on, a, on a 36-year-old movie. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, looking at it from the time period, it's really weird to think that this was progress, but it was. This was progress because it at least wasn't overt about things, and when people were overt with their issues, they get called out on it, just not hard enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to look at this in terms of progress and kind of talking, bringing other things that we've brought up in this equation around, um, I have seen some people criticize this movie because, um, you know, Chris has to be a babysitter. She has to be like this maternal caregiver person for children. Like she's getting her independence and going on an adventure, but only if she has kids with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen like a few complaints about that. But but she is doing things. She's not she's not dominated by like the pursuit of romance or or a boy or a family of her own. She's just like, oh, hey, well, you know, I got dumped and I can make a little money. And, you know, she has different motivations that was more progressive, like how the Little Mermaid was at the time, Mm -hmm. because she was a deeper character than than Snow White. She's she's a fish out of water and she's she's doing things. However, the odds that she's overcoming are are, are complicated Mm -hmm. and they're mixed and they're messy. But it was progress at the time compared to like, I don't know, a lot of John Hughes girls as like a best case scenario Mm -hmm. and like anyone else for the most part as a worse. Mm hmm. And, and something else that I, I'll, like, gently push back on in terms of the people who criticize this movie as, like, putting her in a maternal figure role is that, yes, like, babysitters at any sort of child care position do tend to be women, cis uh-huh. women specifically, and it is because it's a maternal thing. Like, that I'm not disagreeing with. But I also have always viewed something like babysitting as also, like – communal aid Mm -hmm. because a thing people don't like to accept or understand is that children are also a marginalized group. Obviously, intersectionality still applies, but children in general are a marginalized class. They do not have rights of their own. They have to have other people to make decisions for them by and large. They don't have a lot of control or autonomy. So taking care of children, as much as people can view it as like, oh, this is maternal or this is quote unquote women's work or this is demeaning or whatever you want to say, it's also taking care of your community. Like you can't just leave children home alone. Like that's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. So there do need to be roles in society that exist to help take care of children and help, you know, the village has to raise the child, so to speak. The problem that we run into is that it is almost exclusively something that is put on women Mm -hmm. because of a multitude of reasons between, you know, the just blatant misogyny and sexism, but then also male babysitters are not very common because they don't want to do it they not only do they not want them to do it parents don't want men to Mm -hmm. babysit their children because there is kind of this weird implicit like threat people view men as threats so Mm -hmm. they don't trust them around children like there are so many male teachers especially male like elementary and junior high school teachers who talk constantly about how they are afraid to like show affection to their students in the classroom or if they run into them in public because so many people assume that there's something inherently 
dangerous or predatory about it. Mm -hmm. And that's also why we don't see a lot of male babysitters. Um, So it is a social and systemic problem that has turned taking care of your community into an issue of misogyny and it's complicated and it's messy. Look look at that. They look at that big complicated crock pot this is all stewing in. Fucking right. Yeah. That that's kind of what this movie is. Like it, it is fascinating to look for in terms of progress at the time versus where we are now mm-hmm. and also how people have interpreted it in the years since. Yes. Um cuz it people are really come at to this movie from a lot of different perspectives and Some are just more justified than others. Agreed. And speaking of the justified critique of this movie. Is this where we talk about the... the, We have to. The big thing. The the, the big messy thing. The reason (laughs) that they are on this adventure in the first place is because Chris's friend Brenda was running away from home. She was like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm running away from home. She got as far as the bus stop in Chicago. The nice one. Yeah, the nice one. uh, Ran out of money and then realized she had no way to get home, nor did she have a way to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. She's in over her head, and she's at a bus stop hanging around poor people. Like, like, like just call it what it is. People it's who take public transit. poor people. It's yeah. people who use public transit. It's a lot of people that are non-white. It's a lot of people that are houseless. And she is freaking the fuck out because she is a white girl from the suburbs and doesn't know how to act right in this sort of situation. And so yeah. she's freaking the fuck out and she doesn't want to call her parents because oh they'll kill me kind of thing sure so chris decides to go get her but the kids want to go along with they go along with and every possible problem that could happen happens and one of those things is ending up in quote unquote the hood chris i'm begging you it's really scary here I've just seen three people shoot up, a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. Get out of my house! You just moved! Chris, please hurry up and get here. Brenda, I've got my mom's car. I can't drive it into the city. Oh my God, there's a man with a gun. Get me the hell out of here. Brenda, look, just... Hang up and sit down. Don't move. I'll be there in half an hour. Oh, please hurry. I think he's going to kill somebody. Maybe me. Brenda? This movie approaches... I, I, I think it's trying to be, like, progressive by approaching race as, like, a both sides thing. It where, 100% is trying to both sides of the race issue. Yeah, where it's like, oh, it's okay if the black people in the movie are car thieves because there's white car thieves. It's okay if we have a scene at a black blues club, if we have, you know, a white blues band, a very Robert Palmer uh, polished kind of blues band. It's okay to do both these things because then we're equal, except we have no named black characters who are not criminals or entertainers. Yeah, and you're totally right. Like, this movie, I think, like, tried to be conscious because even when they have kind of the scuffle on the train and there's the two, like, warring gangs, they're mixed-race gangs. It's not just exclusively black folk. But there is no named black character in this movie that is not either for entertainment or to be scary. Don't get me wrong. Joe Gipp seems like a nice guy. 
but he's still a car thief. And, <laughs> like, and I'm not going to sit here and like get into the morality of criminality, but like he's the car thief with a heart of gold. Yeah, like that. Like I think that like pe- plenty of people who commit crimes are perfectly good people, and it comes from like poverty and a, a number of other a number of other systemic issues just trying to get by. But uh, yeah, th- this movie was trying real hard and then sort of bombed in hindsight mm-hmm. but i don't think it did a great job at the time either it didn't and i looked up some reviews and articles to reference for this like i normally do and they all say the same thing like every single think piece that i found all have the same critiques they all have the same issues that we did um the one article that i will cite is from the guardian and this is from 2015 so it's a little bit older but it was called Blacking Up, Wacky Asians, and the Libyans, the Worst of 80s Movie Racism. And it's talking about the different ways that really beloved movies from the 80s have these very insidious ways of injecting racism into, like, the central plot of their movies. Mm -hmm. And so they talk about Adventures in Babysitting, and they classify it as scary black people who teach white kids about real life. Mm -hmm. And that's the category, and it says... Adventures in Babysitting, 1987. This film is adorable. It exemplifies so many of the best things about 80s teen films. The sweetness, the silliness, the innocence. However, it also exemplifies one of the worst things, which is using black people as a signifier for danger. Here, for reasons that need not be overly elucidated, babysitter Elizabeth Shue must leave the safety of the white suburbs and travel to the ghettoized city where she encounters all sorts of dangerous black people, ranging from car thieves to gangs to fans of blues music who force her and her youthful charges to sing some bebop. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, it's not great, Bob. Like, it's, it's really uncomfortable to see. And there's also like, Weird stuff with, like, the way they kind of demonize sex work at one point because Brad runs into a sex worker and Elizabeth, she was like, what are you doing out here? And she's like... She's also 17 and ran I'm away I'm 17. Uh, and she's like, how did you end up here? Oh, I ran away. And then it's like, oh, my God, Brenda, we need to go save her. And they just fucking leave this 17-year-old girl, like, on the short way. Well, they don't know her. We don't have that lady's name. It's like, we, we, we she's not been personified. No, like it's really weirdly dehumanizing and it also kind of makes a slight comment on the way that sometimes people are forced into survival sex, but without actually unpacking it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big Just problem. Really left that dangling, yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest problem with this movie too, because we look at the character like jo- Joe Gibb and it is kind of touched on that he doesn't necessarily want to be doing what he's doing. And the white guy who runs the chop shop is actually like the most insidious and evil of the group. Of course. But it's not unpacked enough to where it's actually making a statement. Like, it's just kind of whispering. Right. And, like, that's kind of what I was, like, alluding to that because I knew we would get into this conversation earlier and I didn't want to just front load the episode with it. But that's what I was alluding to when I said that, like, compared to John Hughes's, you know, films being nestled safely in the suburbs or even when Ferris Bueller goes to Chicago, they have a fantastical upscale experience with the city. I think that this movie addresses city versus suburb living so much more head on mm-hmm. and they make it a part of the plot, but then they don't do anything other than like cartoonify it for hijinks sake. Yes. So like, I like the pieces. I like what they were going for, but then they don't do it right. Yes. And I think you calling out the hijinks is really important because 
This movie does follow very similar beats as like the hijinks of a sex comedy movie, but mm -hmm. it's not a sex comedy. It's an adventure movie. So it follows those beats, but because of that, it keeps everything very surface level. And because it's surface level and it's not actually unpacking anything, then it's just racist. Well, yeah, especially because this movie is... It's a teen film, and even if we did have a certain amount of respect for teen films in the 80s, you know, on a very pick-and-choose basis, it still approaches it as silly first, and the only mm -hmm. people that need to really learn lessons or the only themes that you should walk away from are how they directly affect the lives of our main characters. Mm -hmm. And so um, here, here's something that I actually would like to bring up with you in, in this discussion. So I mentioned earlier that this is one of my mother's favorite movies, and... A sort of realization I think I had with my parents while watching this and really trying to unpack their taste in movies, because my parents didn't really, like, we watched movies, but they didn't love movies. Mm -hmm. And I think that both my mom and my dad, their favorite films were a an extension or a fantasy. So, like, my dad liked blue-collar workers who either, you know, the movie shows, like... Clark Griswold just wants to be a good parent for his dad and shit keeps blowing up. Or like, see, Sheriff Brody was right all along and everyone should have listened to him. Like, that's his fantasy. Mm -hmm. My mom, as she got older, she just wanted to watch like chick flick, Sandra Bullock rom-com type stuff because she wanted to be in love because her marriage wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. But when she was younger, she wanted to go on an adventure. Her mm -hmm. favorite films were like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Adventures in Babysitting. She wanted to to do things and have exciting having ex have exciting stories or 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 experiences mm -hmm. and i think about how my mother has always interacted with the city because i moved to cleveland from a town just outside of the city like in the greater cleveland area in the suburbs my mother hated coming to the city well it's also important to note too you came from a rural suburb because yes. I think when people hear suburb, they think of like where Chris grew up and you did not grow up in no, that kind of place. We were surrounded by a lot of cornfields. Right. On like two of the four sides of the city. Mm -hmm. um, so a rural suburb, like it was like 96, 98% white people. And that's just what it was. And my mother hated coming to visit me because I wasn't going to go back to my hometown. Why would I? Yeah, hell no. I've been so, there. <laughs> no, yeah, thanks. It's dreadful. Um, but she would come and visit me and complain about, oh, driving or, oh, there was a guy and he was trying to sell me flowers on the corner and I had to lock the doors. I'm like, okay, but, but why? The man's just trying to sell you flowers. What are you afraid of? Right. So I have this thought of, did my mother, who is not maybe the most intelligent person. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our episode on 16 candles for that. I just, I, just, this is just <laughs> how I feel about, like, I was going to say bless her heart, but I don't mean that. Um, <laughs> my mother either, I wonder if she saw this movie and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy where like she went to the city and saw just enough that reaffirmed what she thought it was in her head. Or if she immediately thought the city was like this because the movie itself influenced her into being afraid of like black people. <laughs> And anyone else who lives in the city, which like it's, it's especially a common thing we see with like conservative people where it's like, oh, my God, I fear the liberal metropolises. Right. So that's I don't know which one it is. I'm never going to know which one it is. Either way, it's bad. Given her age and when this came out, I think it's the latter. I Probably. think that a movie like Adventures in Babysitting made her think that cities 
are these like decrepit, dangerous places where well, she, a bunch she, of a bunch of black people are going to try to steal your car? She, and she took gonna... it as gospel, well, especially mm-hmm. because Cleveland is the nearest metropolitan area mm-hmm. to where I grew up, and throughout the eighties and nineties, Cleveland didn't have a lot of money. It mm-hmm. it was as the movie says, Cleveland is dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we both lost it when he's like he's like we got all these cars to Cleveland. Like nah, three, Cleveland is dead. Three Porsches, and I'm like the guy dramatically no. <laughs> Cleveland is dead. And we were like, eh, you're not wrong, buddy. It as didn't we... bounce back until like the late 2000s. See, but then also we watched this movie like the same week that the local Alt Weekly posted that like two of one of my like two of my favorite small businesses are closing mm-hmm. and our favorite bar already closed. Another one of our favorite bars uh, had a pipe leak and it destroyed it. And it's it just destroyed like, their basement. Um, ah, cool. Yeah, Everything's falling apart. Cle- well, that's the thing with certain cities like um, Cleveland was a dead city because all of the industry left it um, when like, you know, we started to outsource things overseas. But it's a fascinating city to look at because it is a city that has outlived its purpose. Mm-hmm. And now the city is trying to reestablish its purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think it was doing a very good job until the pandemic put the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. And now it has to figure itself out again. Yeah. No, you're so, absolutely right. So it, it's just that is Cleveland itself is an interesting thing to sort of try to understand in the greater ethos of mm-hmm. like American cities. But like back to the topic at, at hand. I can imagine that there are a lot of people who watched this movie like my mother and walked away with similar with similar lessons because of it. You're totally right. And something that I find really fascinating is so we talk a lot about how teen movies because of the John Hughes of it all tend to be set in the Midwest because that feels like the every area. And we've also talked about how films that are set in the Illinois like Chicagoland suburbs tend to be kind of the perfect area to make these movies appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. Yeah, because it appeals to the coast because it's the third biggest city, but it's also the heartland. Right, but it's in the heartland. So that's why everything from like Mean Girls, John Hughes, it's all in the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. Or a lot of teen movies are set in Ohio because Ohio feels like every state USA. But at the same time, like, there are cities, so then you're not completely excluding people who are from cities. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why these movies take place here. But what's fascinating is, so you mentioned that one of your mom's other favorite movies is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Which is largely the same sort of thing as this, but very different. It's the other side of that coin, because instead of it being, oh my god, we have to escape this dangerous city and get back to the suburbs. It's not escape from New York. No, it's 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 a lovely day trip to Chicago. It's the holy land. Like, it's the best day. Like, that's there's a reason that Chi-Town Clothing sells a t-shirt that's like the perfect day off, and it has the list of everything that Ferris Bueller does that day. Mm -hmm. And it's like a rite of passage. People do the Ferris Bueller's day off still. There's a fucking Hey Arnold episode that's like the perfect day off and it's almost verbatim what happens in Ferris Bueller. And it also none of it goes well. No, none of it goes well. Because Ferris Bueller's a fantasy and this is an adventure. Right. So I think it's really fascinating that we have two like very pivotal teen movies that are about basically the same kids from the same class um, around the same time period going into the big city but it's very different. So like Ferris Bueller. It's literally night and day. It's literally night and day. Ferris Bueller is the city in the daytime. You're going to go see a Cubs game. You're going to go to the museum. You're going to get into some wacky hijinks. You're going to go to a parade. You're going to go to a parade. It's going to be great. You go to Chicago at night. You might get shot. You might get killed. (laughs) And it's like, what the fuck? Um, And that to me speaks very deeply to like 
how I grew up. The, and the duality of your city? Yes. We're like, there were certain high schools that would play my high school that were not allowed to have night games at football because they were so worried that there was going to be a problem. There was not going to be a fucking problem. Like, mm-hmm. people are just ridiculous. But it's also one of those things where, like, so often I would make friends from, like, other towns or other whatever And they would say things like, oh, I don't go there after dark. I don't Mm -hmm. go here after dark. And it's like, why? Like, because you're scared? What experiences have you had that would make you feel this way? Or are you operating purely out of fear-mongering? Excuse me. I couldn't help but notice that you two groups of people are about to start killing each other. And I was wondering if you could please just wait on that until we could get off the train. Sit down, bitch. Bitch, sit down. Are you going to let him get away with that? Wait a minute. I was kidding. Uh, that was really rude. Uh, take it back. Apologize. Brad, stay out of this. He called you a bitch. Brad, shut up! Hey, listen to the bitch, Brad. <laughs> Watch your mouth. You, you big city scum sucker. You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Help. Don't fuck with the lords of hell. Don't fuck with the babysitter. A thing that I saw recently was that there was a mall that was going to ban teens from walking around the mall without like an adult if they were like under 21 or something like that. Yeah. And I like there's been plenty of reports of that where it's like that's uh, that's happened in like theme parks that's mm-hmm. happened in any sort of places where kids can just kind of wander around and exist and it it's it's sort of the the supplement to not having a babysitter like we have so many friends who are like oh yeah no you just dropped your kids off at Disneyland because it was cheaper than affording a sitter and you would just let them run around all day mm-hmm. and this is there's something to the uh like the unadulterated hijinks I guess a kid can get into but like a few isolated incidents where there are fights then paint this really bold this this, this boldly dark picture for most people in terms of like teens existing in a space mm-hmm. like it's what this movie's doing right and I know we talked about it during our fast times at Ridgemont High episode about like malls and how kids today don't really have communal areas mm-hmm. because kids are so overly policed well there's nowhere they can existing. go without spending money yeah you can wander no- around the mall for free exactly but everywhere else like coffee shop you have to buy something you can't just sit there all day right like there's nowhere for them to go and even if they're going places in public like parks or skate parks like no loitering like yeah it's all loitering i remember when i was a kid i used to hang out at the skate park all the fucking time i wasn't skating i was mm-hmm. there to hang out with my friends and watch them do cool tricks and eat things from the vending machine like that's what we were doing and kids today can't even do that dude i got and granted it's probably because i was a giant but i remember being like 16 years old 17 years old and like i'm from a small town so sometimes you just find a place to loiter and i would loiter at the park and i would just like people would come over and be like what are you doing are you you're, you're hanging out a little too close to the jungle gym i'm like i'm sitting on a bench Right. It's just, it's so weird how that happens. And I do think that part of it, in all sincerity, is because so many people just get it in their heads like, oh God, Danger. this city, it's so scary. And I am never going to be that person that provides any ammunition to the people that are like, well, if you like horror movies, that means that you're dangerous. But people 
do learn things from movies. There's the documentary Disclosure about trans representation in media and how there is a direct correlation between how trans people are represented in movies to the trans violence that is experienced. And it's because people don't actually know trans people in real life. So they learn things from movies because that is their only outlet. And so for people that are from the suburbs or rural areas or from faraway places and do not actually understand the city and don't know anything about it, the only things that they learn are from what they're fed either through movies that paint the city as like this big dangerous place or news that is going to ignore all of the great things that happened that day and only focus on like one instance of violence to continue to paint a city as a dangerous place. That's more exciting. Because that's that's more exciting. Yeah, Fear it's sensational. sells. Yeah. It's sensational. Yeah. And so that's, I think, why a movie like Adventures in Babysitting is so hard to watch, especially through like a 2023 lens, because we can see the aftermath of it today. Like mm -hmm. we know the aftermath of this movie. And it's that we now have tons of people that are terrified of cities and are terrified of black people because they grew up watching movies that painted them only as villains. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of like Joe Gipp, he's somebody who is like, oh, he turned the new leaf. And thankfully it's because he had this interaction with this white family and now he knows how to be a good person. And it's like, what the fuck, man? Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's a really fucked up backwards way of, of telling that story and it makes it really hard to watch this movie. Like yeah. I loved this movie as a kid and you know, you look back and you actually understand how to pick apart the nuances of it. And it's like, fuck no. Oh no, no. Why does this have to be here? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's fun things in the movie, like the climax when they're dodging the parents at the party. That's fun. Like the actual scene at the blues bar is fun where she's mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't sing. I could, I could never, I could never sing. And then they just like impromptu have this number and everyone gets into it. Like, it's cool. Like these are, these are fun moments, mm -hmm. but it's an issue. Um, Actually, speaking of the soundtrack to this movie, I think it's really interesting that it is largely like blues and soul. Mm -hmm. Like the whole movie is, mm -hmm. Um, which again, I feel like that maybe is them sort of, Trying to push this thing of being like, well, it's not racist because look, we love we love blues music, but mm -hmm. you know, Chris has a Robert Palmer poster hanging in her bedroom, and it's like, well, mm -hmm. the kids in the suburb like a different kind of blues, right? right. Um, they, they, maybe maybe they like blues rock. Like the Rolling Stones are here, and this is the first appearance of Gimme Shelter in a film, and it doesn't even get to the vocals. It's just the yeah. intro when they're driving to the mechanic. And then it just kind of stops. Yeah, we heard it and we were just like, wow, I forgot that's here. And then I looked it up and it's like, yeah, this predates all of Scorsese's uses. And Scorsese is responsible for most of the uses of that song in cinema, either because he used it himself in three movies or people are trying to reference him using it in yeah. his movies, in their own movies. But <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting did it first. And granted, they did not do it best. Um, oh, fuck no. Like, I guess... Yes, give me shelters like the mechanic is you're they're on their way to the the mechanic they're gonna get their car and like their, their shelter their safety once they mm -hmm. have their car and they can leave it's hope but mm -hmm. like it's like an expensive needle drop that doesn't kind of go anywhere yeah it's real weird <laughs> um not to backtrack too much but i did want to bring up something that i find really interesting in that blues scene specifically and that's when the when they get there the blues band is singing about like actual problems and mm -hmm. like the babysitter blues like their worst thing is like we're gonna get in trouble yeah i mean they're white kids from the suburbs that's the right. end of the world like i mean look at brenda she's like i ran away from home and now my parents would have to pick me up they're gonna kill 
kill me. Like, that's the worst you're of your problems. You're gonna get fucking grounded, Brenda. Yeah. But at the same time... That's the worst of your problems when you're a fucking kid with money in the suburbs. 100%. And, like, that's the other thing, too, that is, like, really frustrating is that as an adult, I look at it and I'm like, chill out, Brenda. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But when you're 17, it feels like it's the end of the world. Of course. Like, you don't want to think about that nine-mile drive back while you're sitting in the backseat and you're getting yelled at. Like, I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, it's also just, like... Chill the fuck out. Like, yeah, yeah the, of course the houseless guy is going to be pissed that you're in the payphone. That's where he lives. You M- kicked his spam out the door. Yeah, maybe have jerk. a little bit of perspective here and stop being such a brat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you get to go home tonight. You're in his home. Mm. <laughs> I, I I think I'm thinking about my mom again and how my mom wants to be Chris, but my mom is Brenda. Your mom is 100% Brenda. My, my mom is hard. Like, the thing is, I always said that, like, my mom wanted to be Ferris Bueller, but she's actually a Cameron. My mom's not Cameron. My mom's Brenda. Yeah, your mom is Brenda. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I am thankful I did not turn out like that woman. <laughs> well, I think you've, I don't know if you've said it before on the show, but you've definitely said it to me where you're like, my mom's my greatest inspiration because I just want to do everything she does but not that, just yeah. the complete inverse. Oh, she's my my number one inspiration, and not that's not a compliment, yes. <laughs> so before we wrap things up, there was an interview on the website MovieWeb where they talked to Elizabeth Shue about Adventures in Babysitting and asked her, like, you know, burning questions about it. And I will say the questions are a little bit softballs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly like, how did you like acting with Bradley Whitford? And she's like, he was great. Sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got that kind of thing going on. But something that you might find interesting is they asked her about Vincent D'Onofrio because this is, you know, pre-Full Metal Jacket. Like Long it came, before he became a star. Yeah, it came out the same year. Um, so it's a big deal. And she had said that she remembered that he was so focused that one night, because he was there for the one night, mm-hmm. but he cared so much about the emotional reality of Thor. He wanted the character to be fully realized and not some cartoon. He wasn't like talking to people in between takes. I was really, really impressed. And so then the last thing that I thought was really, really interesting is um, because this is a Buena Vista movie, which if that... N- production name doesn't ring familiar to you that's one of the subsidiaries of disney so even before this got picked up by disney plus or anything like that like this has always been a disney movie Mm -hmm. um so they asked her like how did don't fuck with the babysitter end up in a disney movie and she goes well i will tell you one funny thing my dad wrote me a two-page letter about why i shouldn't say fuck in the movie he said that i was a role model for young girls and that kids will think that it's okay to curse and I was like, no, but I have to use that word because it's the language of the street. Oh. Cut to my son watching the movie when he's two or three, running around the house afterwards yelling, fuck, don't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought that was really funny. And then, of course, like at the end of this article, it also said that the original interview originated in Vulture, um, which is why sites, when you're aggregating, you should credit where you got it from at the start because now I sound like a dingus. But yes, it was it was a Vulture interview that was then aggregated over at MovieWeb. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I find that very, very endearing. And I f- think that that's really funny. Um, but yeah, it is such a good line. I, um, I don't know how I feel about like that's the language of the streets, but whatever. I think that's just the language of people. It's the language of like, not being in the fucking suburbs. Yeah, like I'm never going to say that I'm from the streets, but like I say fuck all the time. Yeah, yeah, you do. I don't know. We're, <laughs> we're from a different generation where we liberally say things like fuck. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. Uh, well, Harmony, I think the time has come. 
Adventures in Babysitting is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? You really put me in a sticky wicket on this one, huh? Yeah, it's complicated. I know. Okay, so again, it does its both sides things. Like you have like, oh, well, you know, Gip helps them out and so does Pruitt. So they get helped out by two people in the whatever. And I I think that there's really good bones of a movie here. I think the good stuff is very funny and I like Chris as a character. Mm -hmm. I can't say that... uh, I could recommend this one for most reasons. I I, I feel like I'm going to say no, but with the edge that like, well, you can watch, you can go on YouTube and watch the good clips. Mm-hmm. Watch, watch the highlights of this movie. Mm-hmm. Watch Don't Fuck With The Babysitter. Watch, watch her kiss that college guy that she met randomly that we didn't talk about because it's really tacked on. It feels like they needed a romance plot in here mm-hmm. as like an editor's note. Um, I don't know. Like, there's good moments, and I get they, what they were going for. I think that this movie deserves better than being as bad as it is. Because mm-hmm. the good stuff's really good, but the bad stuff's really bad. Yeah, I, I agree completely. This is one of those movies that I will always have complicated feelings about because I obviously can't go back in time and make myself unlove it for so many years. But I can hold multiple truths at the same time. I can hold the truth in one hand that I think this movie is a lot of fun and there's a lot of great moments in it. But on the other hand, it's very clunky about what it's doing. It's pretty problematic. And the legacy of the film is probably not Don't Fuck With The Babysitter. It's probably getting a lot of people to think that the city of Chicago is like a scary land where black people are going to steal your car. Yeah. Um, Like a movie can be racist. If even if it doesn't look like Soul Man from the year before, yeah, there 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 are less overt ways for something to be racist, and, and noticing the difference is is a good thing to learn. Absolutely, and I think that it's really really important because so actually, in that sense, this movie might be a good learning tool. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, cool, learn to spot the differences. Then, yeah, this so, is this is how you learn that there are more ways to be racist than like actively calling somebody a slur. Yeah, like. I almost want to edge it to a maybe. You can edge it to a maybe. I'm, I'm going to edge it to like a maybe minus. <laughs> maybe minus. This is like maybe come see me after class. Kind of. It's a maybe minus where you have to, it's a learning exercise to learn to spot the differences between implicit biases and the ex, like diet racism of certain people. Yes. I, I agree with that. I think that, I think that that's, that's very yeah. solid. I feel much better about that rating. Okay. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, friends, I think that takes us out on Adventures in Babysitting. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at ThisSendsUpProm. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to listen to this week inspired by Adventures in Babysitting? So the person I want to shout out this week is Betty Smith. She is a uh, a rootsy singer who primarily does like a, a, a blend of like 60s and 70s blues and rock and soul. Uh, she has a really like diverse sound and I'm a big fan. She also does a cover of Rolling Stones mm-hmm. for this one. She's taking a ownership of brown sugar and its complicated lyrics. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, because that's a, a whole lot of white people thinking they're doing the right thing at the time. So I respect that move. But the album that I really want to plug from her is one that I discovered a couple of years ago called The Good, The Bad, and The Betty. 
And, oh, I love that. Oh, it's marvelous. It's a lot. It's um, it, it's very much like a neo soul by way of like '60s blues rock. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I think she deserves a lot bigger of a following than she has because I don't think she's ever properly blown up despite being around for a few years now. Nice. Well, yeah, everybody check out Betty Smith because she sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Normally I play BJ people before we sit down to record, but I forgot today. We had bleef blowers and shit going on right before we sat down to record. Yeah, so. it's been like somebody was dragging what sounded like a body wrapped in bubble wrap earlier. It was weird. Also, we have a, a quarantine puppy that lives beneath us and she was not she's, happy about being she's left She's having home alone. a bad day today. <laughs> so yeah, there was just a lot of noise going on. I didn't get the chance to play BJ Betty Smith before we sat down to record, but all the more reason you should listen to it. Beautiful. Alrighty, friends, we will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. I'll make it very clear. You slip me the cash, and I'll slip you the wiener. But I don't have any cash. Then I don't have a wiener! This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.